the evolution of coming from a sales customer. All right. Yes, you're going to continue our relationship, our working relationship through our service department, but we want to elevate, evolve our relationship into a community relationship. And, you know, and that is that that takes some serious investment socially, right? Welcome to the Coffee with Jeff and Jason podcast. Tune in for freshly brewed discussion on everything you need to know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your hosts, Jeff Tessier and Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? Hey, thanks for uh, sticking in here with us and joining us on another episode of Coffee with Jeff and Jason. I'm Jason. Uh, Jeff's over. <laughs> Wait, over. He's there. He's over there. There, there he is. Yes, there, buddy. <laughs> and then, all right, the man behind the curtain, all right, hitting the buttons and making the magic happen, the one and the only, the Austin. What's up, Austin? Hello. What's going on? <laughs> you like that? The man behind the curtain, pushing the buttons. I do. <laughs> Big fan. All right, coffee time, coffee time, coffee time. All right, guys. Hey, 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 for everyone out there watching, listen, thanks for taking the time to join us uh, today. Um, we get to talk about anything and everything we want to talk about on this particular podcast. We don't have any specific topics, but Austin's always pretty cool about identifying some stuff for us to kind of jam about. Um, but we are going to have a ton of fun, and we appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to hang with us. So, Austin, what do you got for our coffee today? Let's talk a little bit about post-sale follow-ups. Um, post-sale follow-ups. The lack yeah. of or just <laughs> the... <laughs> a little bit of both. Let's talk about um, handoff to the service department first. Okay, off. that's a good one. That's, that's a good one. one. That's one of my favorites. I know Jeff likes that one too. Yep. All right, what let's do... Like do in terms let's... of strategy there. Let's let's go to um, what was the first one again? Remind me again. Post sale follow up. Post sale follow up. See, I had to get you to remind me of it because I'm trying to actually think of a dealership that has a successful one. Jeff, all that all the dealerships you worked with and worked in, who would you say had a good post sale follow up? A BMW store that I worked at about 20 years ago. All right. What was it? They used a program. It was early stages of 180. The guy that developed it, I think it was called Justin back then. But uh, they were very keen on making sure that that was successful because I think it was called ACT. And I can't remember what it stood for, but that was their CSI at, at BMW. Okay. Okay. And when a customer got a CSI, whether it was from service or sales, I don't know how they randomly selected. There was a short survey and a long survey. The long survey was like eight pages front and back. Holy cow. And it was huge money for the dealership, right? So they they built a process around making sure that there was that follow-up. They had a team uh, that would actually take over and, you know, call the customers afterwards. And then they would keep giving them calls thereafter. You know, we saw you're coming in for service this week. And we always knew what was happening, right? So that was kind of a good feedback that way. But uh, it's it, you're right; it's something that lacks a lot, right? Here's your keys. Here's your car. See, you and later. then there's the survey. Yeah, 
You know, and, honestly, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking like, I mean, out of most of the dealerships I've ever worked with or uh, work or consulted with, um, it's pretty much like, here's the keys. Let me walk around the vehicle, and they do a good job. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, and then you know, like, you're gonna get a survey in the mail or email, whatever it is, right? Um, but that was about it. You know, um, I did have a couple though that I think there's one in particular that I think always did a really good job uh, socially getting them connecting to the community. Because really, what's the next step, right? Think about this for a second. Like, what is the ultimate goal? All right. Once they leave the dealership, now we're in the world of what? Retention. We need to retain them as a customer. And yes, they have a warranty on their vehicle. And, you know, there's a significant a part of their first, you know, year or two or three of retention is because of that warranty. Right. But I mean, this is where, you know, it's right. Is the retention, like, do they just keep coming back to you because they have to? Or do they keep coming back to you because they want to? I think is very different, right? And I also think it's like, where does the relationship, how does the relationship evolve, right? Think about this because there's evolutions, all right, during the entire customer journey, right? Maybe the first customer journey starts um, online and, you know, then it goes into a phone call or a text message and then it turns into an in dealership. And then, you know, depending if you're able to deliver the vehicle on site or if you have to have a longer delivery process, depending on what state or country you're in, whatever it is. Right? That can be another, that, that's another portion of it as well. And then there is the transition of the relationship from the sales department over to the service department. But then, you know, I think that's really kind of, but then also how do we maintain the relationship at the dealership level, not just at the service department level, right? And it's, also, it's almost kind of like, okay, uh, sales is like, okay, my job's done. I'm done. Thanks. All right. Service, now you kick it, right? And And I hate to say it, but a lot of the times, um, that is the point that is that, that, that is the first time they actually meet the service department is the handoff. Right. Yeah. You know? So, so, I mean, it's that after that cell experience, you're just immediately flopped over and say, okay, you're going to be best friends with this person for the next five years. I'm out. I... <laughs> and the only other time we reach out is if we want something, right. We're having a sale, we're having a, this, we're doing. I mean, I think it happened a lot more years ago when we used to have the Rolodex and, you know, people made notes and they were calling customers at the six month mark or on their anniversary, whatever notes that they made, right? Like, relationship. Yeah. And, they, and you're right. They maintain that relationship. But I think at that BMW dealership that I worked at, I tried to emulate that as well in the dealership that I ran them out in there, but it's really hard to get everybody on board is knowing when the customer's coming in. Sales had to talk to service. We got schedules out so that when Joe came in, Steve was there and could go talk to him and just bring him a coffee and, you know, kind of take that edge off while there was that antsy moment. Cause it was a very busy store and a lot of high end customers that were coming in. So we needed that buffer time as well. Right. So many reasons. And I think it just, it really went a long ways, but you're right. It doesn't really happen. I don't think as much anymore. Anyways, we're, we just tend to reach out when we want something from the customer versus. Well, let's talk about how, what it should look like. Right. Um, and, and I do know some dealerships that have done this, by the way. So if you're out there watching and listening and you've done this, congratulations. Um, and then I know some dealerships that started doing this and then stopped doing it because uh, they really couldn't measure an ROI on it, which I think was a shame. But anyways, um, the transition of, well, it's not a really transition. It's an evolution. I've purchased something. 
right? You're now a part of my community, right? And I, I kind of think about it. You buy something, all right, from a brand, you kind of become a part of that brand, right? And depending on how much you love that brand, you might wear their T-shirt or their hat or whatever, right? Like you become a part of, and let's say since you use BMW, it's a great example, right? BMWs have retail stores inside their dealerships, shirts, hats, blankets, coffee mugs, bicycles. Like, I mean, you name it, they'll have something with the BMW logo on it. They have the little kids riding cars and stuff like that, right? A little small version of a BMW M3, you know, like, like, so what I think is, is that some manufacturers have done a great job, all right, of saying, okay, you purchased this and now you're part of my community. And there are very, very few, but there are some dealerships out there that have actually done the exact same thing and they've done it socially. Right. So it's like the transition or the evolution. I keep saying transition, but it's really evolution. The evolution of coming from a sales customer. All right. Yes, you're going to continue our relationship, our working relationship through our service department, but we want to elevate, evolve our relationship into a community relationship. And, you know, and that is that that takes some serious investment socially. Right. Because we call it social media and our industry is really good at media, meaning posting pictures of cars and people that bought cars, but being social on social media, our industry sucks at, and they've had over 10 years to try to get it right. And majority, there, there are a few, there's, there's a couple out there, you know, so if you're watching, don't be posting angry crap down below. I know you're out there. Okay. But, um, all right. As a whole for our industry, we are not social on social media. Plain and simple, right? So we don't maintain that community aspect, right? And, and uh, let me let me break this down, even a smaller smaller version. Okay, so uh, my nephew was in town recently, and we went on a fishing trip together, and um, it was great. We went on a toured guide. By the way, that's the only way I think I'll ever fish again. By the way, is getting a guy that actually knows where the hell the fish are is a, is a very different experience than you putt around the lake for ten hours and can't find anything. But anyways, Chris, so uh, he finds this guide. How does he find this guy? This was very interesting. He finds him where on social media, right? And this guide is a part of this company um, called Talking Talking. Talk and Tackle. Talk and Tackle is the name of the place, right? And so I left it up to him. I said, you planned it. He goes, look, I, I, I went online. I went online. I Actually, I went on Facebook, and he searched it on Facebook. Now, again, psychology guys, just make a note of that, okay? They didn't go to Google to search it. They went socially online to search it, okay? That's, so make a note of that. Um, people don't realize social medias are search engines, and they truly are search engines these days. Um, I'm looking for a pool company. Where do I go? I go to social media because I get to read what everyone else is saying about that pool company before I integrate with it. Anyways, I digress. All right. But um, so, <laughs> so uh, going back to my fishing thing. Okay. So he finds this guy, and then I look this, I look up this place, and it was amazing. It, they did, they did guides, they had a, a tackle shop. And then they also had a lodge and they had like six rooms up above a tackle shop. And, you know, if you ask me, hey, Jason, do you want to sleep above a tackle shop one day? I'm like, oh, oh that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> it was a bad idea and the amount of money I spent. Oh, wow, that's a rod I haven't seen. Oh, I need that real too. Holy cow. I'm good. Anyways. But um, it was, look, what was interesting is what happened after I left. I had this amazing experience, right? I had an amazing experience in this tackle shop, which by the way, wasn't just a tackle shop. It was a tackle shop purposely built for what we were fishing for, 
right? So, you know, the entire shop was was designed to go and where are you going? This is what you need for this area. That's this is what you need for this area. So it wasn't just like it wasn't just like a going to a Bass Pro Shop where there's everything. No, this was very specific to the area that we were fishing and all these different things and from rods to reels to baits to soft baits, crankbaits, fishing baits, you name it. It was designed for that specific region. I thought it was amazing. Of course, I bought tons of it because I'm like, I'm going to go. I'm fishing this region. I want to be successful. Then we stayed there, and it was great. The experience was great. It was a little lodge. It was fun, right? And everyone's so knowledgeable and uh, so friendly. Now, I leave. Okay, so this is where I'm getting to. I leave. I leave. I leave. I go, right? All right. But then I I'm, I liked them on Facebook, and I left a review because they asked me. They actually asked me, would you leave? Absolutely. You guys were amazing. Are you kidding me? Um, now the cool thing is I'm part of this community and it's in, and they do an amazing job socially. I'm not trying to sell me. All right. But continue to kind of educate and entertain me on how I can become better at fishing. I've already booked two more, you know, guides with them. I've already booked another couple nights at the lodge. Like, I mean, it's just, but I'm, I'm connected to them, even though I'm not there and it's three and a half hours away, I'm connected to them in a community and I'm engaging with these people. They're showing their local catches and what they were using and play, new spots that they found. And I'm like, I'm a part of this community. So that was a long-winded, long-winded way to say what we should be doing. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted to drive that home. That That is huge. That is huge. Like I won't. Yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm so into this brand right now. And it's a little tiny brand, tiny, tiny brand. I'm so into this brand right now. You know, I won't go to uh, um, uh, Academy Sports to buy my stuff. I won't go to Bass Pro to get my stuff anymore. I'm just going to order and have them ship it to me because I'm just so connected now into this community. And, you know, so the next rod and reel I buy, I'm going to buy it from them. Pricing, they're pretty much the same, you know, as any of the big retailers and stuff. So anyways, I digress. But that's what it should be, right? So it should be an evolution from the cell now into the community. But you need to be social on social media. Is that good? So what does that look like in a dealership, that type of experience? Well, I mean, the cool thing is like, look, a car, all right? It's not just what you do with that. It, it's, it's not the fact that you bought the car. It's what you can do with the car. You know, and I think that's where kind of the social aspect comes from it, right? You see car clubs everywhere. People look, here's the funny thing. If your dealership doesn't build a community, the car that people, outside people will. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm I'm not saying I'm not pulling this out of my butt and just saying, like, this is a good idea, guys. Like this, the fact of the matter is, is that if you don't build a community, the people themselves will build a community. Look, a vehicle anymore it, for some. Is just a form of transportation. I understand that. But for the large majority of people out there, the vehicle is way more than just a piece of transportation. It is, is a part of how they identify themselves to the world. You know, what kind of vehicle I'm driving? Everything from an electric vehicle to a big vehicle to a fast vehicle to a small vehicle to a, like, it's just it's who I am. And you will see, dude, you'll see car clubs for Kia Rios. <laughs> like, I mean, we're talking about one of the most boring vehicles in the world. You know, like you're going to see, um, uh, what was one of the, oh, there was a car club for a Hyundai Launcher owners. Wow. That's what I'm saying. Like the community, they, people will build a community around a brand or product that they purchase. All right. If you don't build that community, somebody else will. Now, if you're the one that builds that community, oof, 
There's so many things you can do with that community. All right. A, your retention is going to go through the effing roof. You're going to bring in new business into the, the community, but it, it takes, it takes work, right? To eat. It's think of it kind of like, like, it's like a, if you kick it old school, it's like running a forum. Like, hey, guys, before social media, we had this thing called forums. <laughs> now I'm seriously aging myself. <laughs> you had a forum. And a forum was just a group of people that liked to talk about a specific subject. And it could be everything from chess to cars to a movie. All right. And the people that just big fans of, and there'd be forums where people can talk about it and interact with other people that liked it. And, yeah. and, and so, but now with do it social, it's, it's just so much easier to build this. But the thing is, is with the form, it took work. It was work. You had to be engaging. You had to be social. So then social media take off. You see why forms totally disappeared. Um, but anyways, I digress. Uh, build the community, build the community. So what does it look like for a dealership to build the community? Um, it's it, it, it's you know uh, no different than I think what the car clubs do. All right, the content that you're sharing is to encourage people to enjoy their vehicles beyond just the fact that they are transportation uh, uh, transportation methods of just A to B, right? Like, what else do you enjoy? How do you like to enjoy? Where do you like to enjoy uh, the vehicle? Um, and it could just be simply the wares, right? You know, what does it look like? You know, all right, I'm here's the farmer's market I'm going this weekend. And this is the drive-in movie theater I went last weekend. And here's like, your vehicle can be a vessel for experiences. And if you document that, people are going to be attracted to that and they will want to be a part of that. That's you then creating a community. That sounded good. I'll go with that. <laughs> when you said people buy vehicles because it says something about who they are as a person, sure. uh, I was thinking about how Tesla has sort of become like a status symbol for the younger generations. Like if you own a Tesla, absolutely. Like, it says you're, an you're cool or, or you're, yeah, you're, you're popular or it almost feels like how iPhone became, it's, it's kind of like Tesla's like owning an iPhone. Like you're part of like yes. a, the cool kids club. And because it, all the sort cool of, kids are driving at Tesla's like all the YouTubers and influencers. Yeah, exactly. They all exactly. Tesla's. So do you think, do you think Tesla created, had a hand in creating that sort of, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Status symbol type feeling, and and how can sort of other brands do that? Either the the technology itself became the status symbol in the sense of the experience oh. the technology brings, but it was also I think highly an influ influencer thing, right? Like, so it's funny you say Tesla, Austin, because both my kids want a Tesla, <laughs> and I'm like training somebody. I'm like, do you know what it's going to take? Like, they think their first car is going to be a Tesla. Like, do you think their first car, their first <laughs> i'm like where the hell but that's what they watch on youtube all right yeah every single youtuber mr beast preston whatever the hell other people that are screaming at the top of their lungs is about something stupid um you know they're all driving a tesla and they just and and fun thing is these people are all young you know they're all 17 18 19 20 they're all and they're just thinking that is what i'm gonna get and you know it's funny enough i was at a uh took my son to a soccer um to, to soccer that was it, it, they practice at this uh this high school this private high school not too far from us 
there's a lot of Model Three parking lot. <laughs> Half, I mean, dude, the the high school has charging stations. Jeez, that's how many people are. Anyways, but yes, that was a good one. That's a good one to point out, right? Like, it's just at what point in time does that status become more than a status, and it becomes kind of like a a social kind of status. It's a social status, right? It's I'm somebody because I drive this. But we've seen that happen all the time. Jeff, you remember when we were kids? That was the same way, right? You were somebody if you drove an IROC. Yep. <laughs> okay, for people who don't know what an IROC is. <laughs> Austin's looking at me like, what? Austin's Googling it right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> IROC was a Chevy Camaro, but it wasn't just a Chevy Camaro. It's an IROC. <laughs> I I bet you I bet you Jeff owned on IROC. No, I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you also had a mullet too at one point. No, that, that never happened. An there you go. There you go, dude. <laughs> that was the saddest set, right? Jeff, would you agree? Or, or yeah. am I, is there another vehicle maybe I'm missing? No, that was probably one of the coolest ones back then. Dude, you you were one of the coolest kids in school if you drove an IROC. And a lot of companies tried to emulate that too, right? Like, you also had the loudest, the loudest sound system. If you drove, oh, that was very popular. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways. So, what kind of technology can help dealerships with their post-sale follow-up? That's the cool thing I like about this. Is there's not a lot of technologies out there, and I don't think it necessarily should be. Look, we break things into a lot of different categories, people, process, and technology. Almost everything is broken into that. And, you know, a building a community, yes, there's some technologies out there that can assist, but the majority of the heavy lifting and building a community is people and process. Like, you got to have the right people. You have to have the right process because building community is consistent execution of content out there that's relevant to the community, to the people that are following you, Right. Like you can't just post one time and say that's good enough, right? Maybe it's, maybe you could get the, instead of asking only for the survey, you get the customers to, to do what you said earlier, right? When you're at the drive-in or when you're at this or that, post about your experience with the vehicle or, or you know what I mean? So that the customers are actually posting for you too. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. You're building a community around a product that you sell. And it's funny because I'm, I'm, I'm. It's funny because I think the way I purchase things right now, I almost in reverse do the opposite. So I'm kind of playing with the idea of buying a pool, which is a wild experience to try to map out. Right, like so many options, so many different costs, so many different ways you can do it. You know, do you go salt water? Do you not go salt water? And it's just like I'm just like I need to educate myself right now. All right, on all things pool related, you know, so that I can feel like I can make a confident relationship, a uh, confident decision. So what am I doing right now? Because and, and then guys, I'm just identifying this as another opportunity. Same thing with the automotive is <clears throat> I'm now jumping in on and I'm following a lot of these pool communities, pool social accounts and stuff like that. So I can educate myself on what it is and i can ask questions to people that you know purchase a certain product that i might be thinking about buying and it's like they've had it now for seven years and it's like hey how do you, how do you like it does that would you do that again <laughs> would you do it again i would well if i was to do it again i'd do this this and this oh man 
Jeez, that's life changing. That changes things, right? Well, when you're dropping that kind of money, especially, right? You need to know. It's the same price as purchasing a car. Yep. Right? And I think there are people out there in the exact same way, exact same thing. What they're doing is they're looking at purchasing a car and they're reversing, all right, the process. All right. They're going out to these communities to learn about what these people think about these these cars and how, you know, they've now owned them for seven years, put a hundred thousand miles on them. So how is it? How is it? You know, it's like, well, you should expect this around this time. I mean, that's how I turned out not buying an Audi. I at one point in time thought about buying an Audi. And then I heard about this magical thing called a timing chain, not a belt a chain. All right. Where literally the entire car has to come apart. All right. So that they can replace this singular chain that sits on the backside of the engine. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I'm like, not interested. I'm not going in. Same reason why I bought the boat that I bought. I didn't buy the supercharged version of it because of when I went into these communities and I started learning things, people were telling me they were rebuilding their superchargers every two years at a cost of $4,000 a supercharger. I was like, nope, not into it. Anyways, I digress. I just can't express enough how valuable it is for a dealership to build a community and to actually be social on social media, not just do the media portion and check out the proverbial box that you got your social media done. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, there was another one we were talking about, and I only got a few more minutes in this episode, but I did want to bring it up because I know Jeff's got thoughts on it too, is the um, service handoff. Handoff, yeah. Jeff, play it up. What do you, what's your thoughts, man? Well, to me, that that's a crucial experience, right? Like even what we used to do is at the time of sale, we would introduce them to the service department because they were likely going to be there at that time, right? Or we had a picture at the desk so that they and they knew where to go exactly. And again, it didn't happen 100% of the time, but 90, 95% of the time. And that made the customers more comfortable who they were going to be talking to, what the process looked like. I wanted them to know to use the drive-through. You know what I mean? Made it easier for my service advisors, mm-hmm. especially if you've invested in putting these, um, you know, Hunter line checkers. Right? We were at that one Hyundai store a couple yep. month ago or something like that. Yep. Beautiful drive-through. The service advisors are all lined up in there. Mm-hmm. We were there for an hour. Did you see a car pull in there? Nope. Why is that? Because maybe they're, you know, customers aren't really aware of how the process should be. And if you've invested a hundred grand into that machine, you want to use it, right? Oh, so, true. Because the drive-through was actually on the backside of the dealership, not on the yeah, side. Of the dealership. It was just a bit weird location. So, so it but wasn't super obvious when you drove. That's in. an education process, right? right? You can easily overcome that. So I think to me, it's setting it up from the beginning so that they felt comfortable. The customer, when they met in person, they got that extra reassurance. To me, that 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 was the key. So I had this manager. Who I think was a complete dick. Um, <laughs> but now looking back, I thought of him at the time. I thought he was a total prick, right? <laughs> like, seriously. Like, I just, yeah, if I had to go to him to get numbers, I was just grinding my teeth the whole way, right? Um, but he was a monster, monster stickler for process. Just, just ex-military, understandable. But, like, I mean, I remember, like, you'd have to come in, and if you were on his team, now, you understand this is a big dealership, multiple managers, multiple teams, blah, blah, blah. If you're on his team, you had to execute the meet and greet verbatim to him before you could hit the sales floor. And if you couldn't do it within three tries, you got sent home. Wow. Just plain and simple. Got sent home, 
right? Like there's, so as you can see, a lot of people thought this guy was a prick. <laughs> Just Rightfully so maybe, but hey. Think of, that drill, think of that drill sergeant, you know, from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Um, you know, just, you, are, you guys are shitheads. None of this, but um, kind of like that. Um, but one of the processes he made us do is he would not give us numbers until we introduced the customer to the service department. <laughs> and a couple times he tried to lie to him about it, right? <laughs> he would call over to the service department to check and see if Jason had gone by and introduced his customers. And if I had it, oh, guess what? It wasn't my deal anymore. Oh. It was a house deal. Like that's how that's how like militaristic this guy was. But I, you know, it is what it is. So so okay. So let me explain to you the uh, service intro, right? So okay. So take the customer out on the test drive. Come back from the test drive. We park kind of closer to the service department, right? Walk through it. Walk through the service department. I can't tell them about how many bays and how many technicians we have. Uh, how uh, what our hours are. Uh, I, pinpoint one of the advisors. I'm like, Becky, there's Becky. Becky's going to be your best friend. Once you guys take ownership of the car later today, you know, I'm assumptive close, right? Um, I would, also, that helps to seal the deal too, right? Cause you're not did, afraid to go the back it door. It did. It did. Right. And it was, it was so, but the funny thing was, it was done before numbers were even presented. And with his, his philosophy, he believed that, that, that just built the additional value necessary to do business at this location versus the other seven locations in town that sold the exact same product. Now, the way he went about it, might have been a, a little bit unorthodox, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's serious, serious value in doing that. And so we wouldn't, he, then, then, and only then would he give us numbers if we, uh, if we actually executed on that. So. Uh, I, I think too often we think of the service handoff as something that has to happen at the end of a sales process, but I think there's so much value, so, so, so much value. I've changed my mind these days. Now that I'm older and wiser, all right, there is so much value. In fact, I think it, it is a mandate. Your customers should be introduced to the service department before you even present them numbers. All right. That's what I got to say about that. I know we're at the end of our time. Yep. That's it for today. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Coffee with Jeff and Jason podcast with your hosts, Jeff Tessier and Jason Harris. Don't want to miss out on new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.